Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for that, Landon. I'm really glad Landon said something about his mustache, because I was going to say something. Um, Because I love it, and it's a challenge. Those of you who have had a mustache, I think about shaving mine every single week, uh, and I don't. So I give him two weeks, maybe three. Um, Be cool if he went longer, though. So, uh, super excited to spend some time with you this morning. I want to start with a, with a personal story. So, I, I grew up in a Mormon household, active Mormon family. I was uh, the youngest of three other siblings. Uh, by the time I was 13, I rejected the faith. Not because I had some theological opinion at 13 years old, because I thought it was lame. Uh, and I was really invested in not being lame when I was 13. Uh, So I continued on through my teenage years identifying as an atheist, right? Not super uncommon, but I did. Uh, And I was a wild kid. I was not a good kid. Um, And into my early adulthood, I became, through life circumstance, I uh, had a little bit of a surrender, and I became, let's say, a hopeful agnostic, right? I acknowledged that there was something else out there that wasn't me, but I didn't need to put a name to it. It wasn't a priority. Uh, I got really steeped in New Age practices around that time. I was a part of a Buddhist Sangha here in town. And looking back, I think a big reason I was attracted to those teachings is they don't require you to do much of anything, honestly. Uh, You can just kind of be there. And so that's where I was, spiritually. And there was a slight satisfaction with it, but um, this was not a priority to me. Around this time, for some reason, uh, my wife said, my now wife said yes to go on a date with me. And so we went and we had coffee and on the date she said, I'm a Christian. And I had two thoughts when she told me that. Uh, The first one's really embarrassing. The first one was, maybe I can change that, you know? And then the second one uh, was, okay, so she goes to church on Sunday for a couple hours, big deal. I mean, that's what Christians do. I thought I had you guys pinned down. You go to church on Sunday, and then throughout the week, you just do whatever you want. So the relationship grew. It became time to meet the family, right? And so I go over to her parents' house, and we sit, and we have dinner, and I start to talk, and I start to meet. And I realize pretty quickly that these are not Sunday Christians. These are Christian Christians, major league Uh, co-laborers of Christ, disciples, prayer warriors, spirit-filled individuals, and not just the immediate family, even the grandmother and the aunts and the uncles, and I'm like, whoa, these are are seven-day-a-week Christ followers. And I left that dinner, I remember telling my wife the the feedback, she wasn't my wife yet, but I told her, I said, I felt like I'd been there before. It felt really warm and inviting, I had extreme deja vu in that environment. So we went on and I asked her to marry me again for some reason. She said yes, and we got married. Uh, I now know that that's called being unequally yoked, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone. A skeptic and a Christian getting married, just in my experience, it it, it was hard. It was really hard, I'll say that. 
So we got married, and of course, uh, she started to prompt talking about the gospel a little bit more, and she was really kind about it for the most part. Something she did, she asked me to go to church with her, and so I would go, and I would call it marriage maintenance behind her back. That's why I was going to church, simply because she wanted me to, right? I even had experiences in church. I sat in the pew one day. This was probably eight years ago, and I I had an experience during worship. I felt a tingling from the top of my head down to my feet, and and tears welted up in my eyes. And I looked over at my wife, and I said, what the F is that? And I left, I said the actual word, and then I left that day, and I chalked it up to emotion, you know, as a skeptic would. Well, I mean, worship music, you know, they, they do it intentionally to whatever. Again, I thought I had you guys pinned. So I, I started to take the stance around that time of a bit more combative when discussing theology with my wife. And I would say things like, if Jesus is real, I want to see a present-day miracle similar to the ones that I see in the Word of God. Show me. Essentially, what I was saying is, God, do a dance for me, you know? What I didn't know is that that miracle was going to come in the form of providence at the, the lowest point in my life. Okay, so fast forward a couple years. Um, I'm an individual in, in recovery. I've had addiction and alcoholism passed down as, as long as, as I can remember. Uh, and I, I was sober for quite some time, and then I had relapsed. I didn't tell anyone about it, so I was lying to everyone. Uh, and I was in the grip. And then the cat was out of the bag, and then it just got much worse, right? And everything was on the edge, to make a long story short. Uh, material things gone. Uh, Wife and kids, almost gone. House, gone. Uh, Technically, I'm not going to say homeless, but I'm going to say environmentally challenged. That's where I was at, okay? And I had an experience. I was driving home one day, and I heard an audible voice, almost as if someone was sitting in the back of my truck, and the audible voice said, if you don't investigate Jesus, you're going to die. And if some of you are like, this guy is crazy, I felt crazy in that moment. I felt insane when that happened. But what I did is I quickly texted my wife, because I knew it was fleeting. I knew I would chalk it up to something else. And I texted her and I said, if I don't investigate Jesus, I'm going to die. This was uh, three and a half years ago. And around that time, she was a part of a house church. And they were in that moment when I sent that text, they were in a circle praying for my salvation, praying for me by name, right? And that hit, that hit, that's something. And I was like, okay. So the the whole reason that I am here today is because of prayer, is because of unceasing, yeah, praise God. I'm here today because of unceasing, laboring, sometimes doubtful prayer from loved ones, year long, years, years, years prayers. I'm here because I was surrounded by people who took the Great Commission seriously. I'm here because uh, one of the guys from that house church responded to my awkward text asking if he would come by and share the gospel with me. I'm here because he put up with the prideful questionings I had of the gospel. And I'm here because with that same man, we knelt together uh, as I prayed to receive Christ and essentially said yes to the yes that was already proclaimed over my life. So our prayers matter. (laughs) They're not on an isolated island somewhere, right? So 
We're going to be spending time uh, in both the Gospel of John and, and First Peter today. As, you, as I'm sure you've gathered, the, the topics are prayer and witness. Uh, prayer for the lost is what we're going to be talking about. How I'm defining the lost as those outside a relationship with Jesus. And how I'm defining witness uh, is sharing the gospel with others, specifically those people. So if you guys wouldn't mind, we are going to jump uh, right into scripture. We're going to be in John 17, verses 20 through 26. I'll give you a little time to get there. When I first got saved and the pastor was like, we're going to be in John 17. And then he would start like one second after. It would take me five minutes to get there. A little context here. These are the set of the high priestly prayers. This was marking the end of, of Jesus's earthly ministry. Uh, you know, this is, th- th- these are his prayers before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. So starting at verse 20, these are Jesus's words. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, even as, have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So there's a lot going on here. Uh, The unity piece is really apparent in this. Uh, Nine out of ten Scholars, which I'm not, obviously, would go into the, the unity piece. We're staying in the thread of prayer for the sake of this sermon. But something that's blatantly clear to me in this is that Jesus longs to be in relationship with us. The header in my Bible in this set of verses says, prayers for future believers. So if you are a professing Christian today, you are, in a sense, a beneficiary of this prayer. This prayer was, was for us, for future believers. So Jesus longs to be in relationship with us. This is what compelled me in the first place. No other God uh, seems to pursue this way. Uh, No other God loves back. And the reason is because counterfeits can't do that. They don't have the capacity to, yet he does it without condition. He is not content to exist without us. So we are benefiting from this prayer 2,000 years later. The question that comes up is, do you sense this longing in yourself for others? Does your heart burn the way Jesus' heart burns for the lost? Maybe even as I'm talking, you're thinking of a few people in your life. Family members, kids, coworkers, maybe people you haven't Talk to in 20 years. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does that. It's like, remember Jimmy from fourth grade? I'm like, what? There's a story that I feel connects with this longing uh, really well. This is about the late great evangelist and author uh, from the 1800s. His name is D.L. Moody. Um, This story is taken, it's an excerpt from a book. 
uh, called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by Tyler Staten, and I'm gonna get into a couple of those. He tells the story much better than I do, so we're just gonna read it together. And I know there's a slide for this too, so we can all read it, there it is. So in an oft-told legend, many before me have recounted that Moody famously carried a list of 100 names in his pocket every day of his adult life. 100 friends who had no relationship with Jesus. Moody's labor of love was secret, hidden prayer on their behalf. He pleaded with God to reveal himself to each of them in a way that they could perceive and receive as eternal love. He prayed by name for their salvation. When he died, 96 of the names on that list had become answered prayers. A 96% success rate in prayer is not bad. I'd take those odds any day of the week. But it gets better. At Moody's funeral, the four remaining names were each in attendance. Those four friends were independently so moved by the memorial service that they all came to faith at his funeral. So just for the record, how did a shoe salesman with a fifth grade education, that's Moody, become one of the most influential evangelists in recorded history? Prayer. So I heard this story in a sermon about a year and a half ago and I'm impressionable, so I went and I made a list. I got about 80 names in there. Uh, there's a lot of people in my life who are outside of the relationship with Christ. And I had some friends come over who uh, helped me add to the list as well. And so one of the names on that list was a, a good friend of mine named, named Dave. And I want to tell his story because I feel that it's really important. So uh, Dave was someone who was very outspoken about his disbelief in God. A couple indicators of that, he had 666 tattooed across the side of his neck. Uh, I knew for a fact he had satanic literature in his home. And I don't mean like Harry Potter or Goosebumps, I mean like actual <laughs> satanic literature, you know? Uh, and I've been friends with him for better part of the, the past decade. And I uh, had gotten saved, and I would hang out with him and his wife. They'd come up from, from Phoenix pretty often. Uh, there was a time years ago that I was tattooing, and so they would come in, and we would spend si significant time together, right? Hours. And each time I would talk to him, I would feel a, a tug, tell him about Jesus, share the gospel with him. And I'm like, nope, no, no, I don't want to. And the reason that I didn't want to, uh, it's vain, because I was embarrassed to, because I didn't think the reception would be good. Um, I assumed that it would harm our friendship, which is very backwards, right? Uh, and yeah, I was, I was self-conscious about it. But he was on this list and I was praying for him. One evening he called me, I was pulling into my driveway and he never calls me. Uh, we're just, tech, we text jokes and memes back and forth. We, you know, maybe some of you have a friend like that. You never talk to him on the phone, but you text with him constantly for like years. So he called me and I was like, this is, this is weird. And so I answered and he goes, hey, uh, I'm in my garage, I'm working on my motorcycle. I just felt like I was supposed to call you. And I'm like, all right. And we had the most normal conversation. Okay, nothing crazy, but I felt that same tug. This time it was different. The intuition was, tell them about youth group. We were volunteering at the time doing youth group here at this church. And so I did, uh, probably because it was over the phone. It was a bit more like palatable to do for me. But he said, um, hey, what have you been up to? And I said, you know, man, uh, I actually, I, I gave my life to Jesus and I've been running a youth group. And then there's just silence on the other end, and he goes, good for you, and then that was it. 
We didn't get into theology. I didn't share the gospel with him. That was it. I just felt like I just needed to say that. The conversation was over. I go in, go into my home. And I walk into my house, and and my wife had just gotten done uh, leading uh, a women's meeting. And I come in, and there's a couple of women there, one of them being my sister-in-law, and she's sitting on the couch across from me. And not even two minutes in, she looks at me, and she goes, we should pray. And I'm like, all right. And and so I whip out the list, and we start to pray for a lot of things, other people, um, what she's going through, and we're praying over this list. And of course, when I came to Dave and his wife, Paige, I felt more convicted because I just talked to this guy. And this was my prayer for him. I said, Lord, uh, infiltrate his life. Keep him up if if you have to. Uh, Reveal yourself in a very personal way to Dave. Amen. And I went to bed, didn't think anything of it. And I go into work the next day. He texts me very early in the morning at 6 a.m. And he goes, I can't sleep. Haven't been able to sleep all night. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. So uh, something I was aware of when I was preparing for this sermon is that story may be really encouraging for some people and maybe aggravating for some, right? Because for every Dave, there's like 500 other people that we have been praying for, some of you have been praying for, uh, children you've been praying for, right? That, it, that, that God feels quiet on. It's a mystery of prayer. Prayer is a, a confounding mystery to me. Why the Holy Spirit pours out sometimes and not other, I don't know, I don't know. But this was a quick one. It's so it would be a whole other sermon to go into that. And maybe I'll, I'll give that to Landon at some point. Let him talk about it. But two things I want you to understand at this point. Uh, Prayer births longing for the lost. And longing for the lost births witnessing to the lost. So uh, prayer moves into longing and longing moving into witness. Something uh, else I realized when I was looking at this, again, something for another sermon, is what we're talking about here is the beginning but what comes after that is discipleship and so on and so forth. What we're talking about is not what happens when the person gets to the table, but how do we, how do we get them to the table and feast with Jesus, right? So prayer moves into longing and longing moves into witness. Uh, let's go back to scripture. This time we're going to be uh, two chapters back. John 15 verses 26 and 27. So when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So this is the best news, right? We are not at it alone. We never have been. Uh, We've been given an advocate. This is the Holy Spirit. So I, I want to be perfectly clear that uh, we do not do the saving. I've heard it said before, and I can't track down this quote, so if any of you know it, please let me know. But someone along the line said that witness, sharing the gospel with others, is a supernatural effort, meaning we do the natural and he does the super. 
right? We are in the action business. God, Holy Spirit, is in the outcomes business, so to speak. Something else that's really cool, I love this. Just heard it the other day, and I was like, I'm going to add this. Uh, The Greek translation of advocate is the paraclete, right? Parakletos, which literally means one sent to assist another. In the Mediterranean Sea at the time of Jesus, there were small boats sent out from the harbors to meet incoming ships offshore and to guide them safely into the port. They were known as paracletes. Jesus is using a metaphor here that would be well known to his hearers. Entering a harbor, especially an unfamiliar one, was a was dangerous business. And so it was wise to send for the assistance of the paraclete to come alongside and guide you in. What a beautiful picture, right? That's what the Holy Spirit is, coming alongside us. It's an assistant that we, we get to have. John 16, verse 8, there's not a slide for this. It's, it's quick. You can just kind of glance down at your Bibles. When he comes, referring to the paraclete, the advocate, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The reason I add that here is because the pressure is off, okay? We are not here to prove the world wrong in, uh, regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit is. I mean, I, you, could, you could get a skeptic and the greatest theologian in the world talking for four hours, but if the Holy Spirit isn't present, nothing is going to occur, right? The ultimate witness is holy conviction. For instance, in my story, I was convicted in my sin much, uh, much more before I was convicted in, in Jesus being the one true God. And this is what convicted in, in my sin felt like. It was, my life sucks and it's my fault. Okay? No more victim story. Uh, no more I'm blaming God or I'm blaming others or I'm blaming circumstance. Is that I, uh, and this was really encouraging to me, it's a paradox, is that I suck. <laughs> Like, I'm a bad guy, you know? And what makes me good is the fact that Jesus has died and rose again and now resides in us. So, yeah, we're, we're bad, but it's, it's good. It's a good thing. I have yet to see anyone come to Christ on a winning streak. Okay? Usually what God is using is people at the end of their rope, Right? I, I, I'm sure this is possible. I have yet to see someone who, like, life is going super well, business is well, just won the lottery, just doing this, and I'm going to add Jesus into that, right? What I've seen is that there's cracks in the windows of skepticism. Uh, there's cracks in the windows of, of willpower that Jesus uses to, re- to weave himself into his own redemptive story. And that's what happens. He uses mess. That's who he came for, right? What a relief, I thought I had to be a saint. I thought I had to be righteous. He didn't come for the righteous. Uh, Let's look at our last perspective here. This is in uh, 1 Peter 3.15. So what he says here, uh, Peter, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And I just want to stop right there for just a moment. I I think what this is, is this is a stance. This isn't a theory, 
right? Have you guys ever experienced someone maybe in your church community, maybe a mentor you had, where you're hanging out with someone and you can just like tell that they spend a lot of time with Jesus in the way they operate, in the way that uh, they talk and act? You can feel it, right? And you start to feel happy around them. So in my heart, revere Christ as Lord. That's my stance that I should be taking. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Also a really big piece. So this is what we are to do. This is pretty clear. Two questions came up for me as I read this. Would I be asked to, to give a reason for the hope I have? And if so, am I, am I prepared? I'm full of stories, I have another one. When I started coming around Christian fellowship, Bible studies, churches, it seemed like everyone was having an awesome time, all the time. Everyone was having really good days. I would ask people how they were doing, and it was three responses. It, would, it was good, busy, or blessed. And also blessed brother was common. You guys all started calling me brother right away, which I've come to like, actually. Uh, but it was really rare that someone would tell me they weren't doing well, right? Because when I first came to faith, and maybe there's some of you in this room who are newer in your faith, it's not a fun time. You feel the love of the Father, don't get me wrong, but it's like, man, everything is changing. Everything is upside down. Now living my life, now, now taking on a biblical worldview is, is huge. Everything changes. So I, I really think that uh, we're called to a radical vulnerability. And I'll never forget, this was a huge witness to me, I was being uh, discipled by a man actually who, who used to live here, he's, he's since moved. And I came in, I was a newer Christian and I met him at the back table there and I said, how are you doing? And he goes, you know what, I'm actually not doing well. And I was like shocked. It's like, what? It was the first time I had heard that. Um, he said, yeah, I'm dealing with a lot of temptation this week. And then he got up and he preached the word of God and taught a sermon. And the way that he humanized himself for me, that was something. Because if we're supposed to be providing a reason for the hope that we have, that would most likely mean that we're going through something that requires hope. But if I'm always good, busy, or blessed, you know, then what I'm saying is like, God is good all the time, which is true, and I feel awesome all the, that's not, it's just not, that's not accurate. What's accurate, again, is that God is good all the time, and we are not sometimes. So there's a, a slogan in the recovery community that I really like. Uh, slogans help you keep the principles in the forefront of your brain, but it's, you gotta give it away to, to keep it. And what that means essentially is if you're in sobriety, right, you have to help others on their sobriety journey in order to keep it yourself. You don't just get to get sober and then hold it and not share it with anyone. We can't recover quietly, right? And so I think that this applies to Christian community. Different wording, obviously. The more we share the good news, the more we get of it ourselves. The gospel comes alive when we experience others being born again. So to quote D.L. Moody again, he says, a lighthouse doesn't sound any horns drawing you nearer to it. That's what the light is for. It just shines. 
shared this with Ben Baker, who is one of our elders, and he added, uh, he's our local theologian, he added another portion of this. He said, also the lighthouse shines on the rocks so you can see those, which is true. And I told him I'd said it, so I said it, I said it. (laughs) Last story, I swear. Uh, This one applies to always being prepared. So Dave that I told you about, his wife, her name's Paige, she came to faith just weeks after he did. I mean, she was touched by what she witnessed in her husband, right? This total uh, shift in him. And so she, you know, came up to church and we went home and and we read scripture and, and she came to faith and She had one of those testimonies where it was like, you were going to hear about it whether you like it or not. You know, like she got saved by Jesus and she was going to go on the highest mountain and just scream it out, which I think is rad. And like, man, if if you saw her, it was just very apparent, like, okay, the Holy Spirit just poured out on this woman's life. At the time, she was working in a dispensary. She doesn't work there anymore, but that was her mission field. Right? She'd worked there for so many years. And so she would, uh, what she did, she brought in a business card holder and put it in front of the desk. And instead of business cards, it was little pieces of paper with Bible verses on them. So talk about being prepared. As the customer approaches, they're going to notice it, you know? And I was talking to her a couple weeks ago. I said, what was that like? I assumed it was mostly negative reception. And she said, you know what? It was like 90% positive. Miracles started going down in that place. She was able to lead one of her coworkers to the Lord. She had so many conversations with customers, right? Added to the, the, her body of Christ, her community in there. And also got to experience some very mild persecution, you know? Because people come in and, they, and they, they're angry. The gospel's offensive to a lot of people, you know? Uh, LifeWay's research in in 2016 did a survey. So the reason that 82% of people don't attend church is because, does anyone know this? They weren't invited. 2% of us bother doing so. I saw this and I felt like, like defensive, you know? And I was looking at a tweet and everyone was getting really angry about it. And I'm like, let's just invite people to church. We don't have to get angry and debate about this survey, you know? So in conclusion, prayer births longing for the lost. Longing for the lost births witnessing to the lost. So what if we all went home today and made a list? Set aside 10 minutes of our daily devotion to intentionally pray for those outside of relationship with Christ. What if one of those individuals were saved? Then they made a list, what could happen there? And then so on and so forth. Because something has occurred in my life when I'm starting my day with intentionally praying for these other people and then I go into work and see them, my interaction with them is very different. I start to see them different. I want to have the same longing that Jesus does. Obviously, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His love, I mean, it surpasses understanding, the Father's love. But I I would like to 
to try to emulate as much as I can of that. Uh, A.W. Tozer says, prayer is God's way of getting things done on earth. And I would absolutely agree with that. He is all powerful. He is loving. He died for every single one of you. He died for us. And he wants us to partner with him in prayer. He wants us to ask. He wants to have relationship with you. So if there is people in the room who don't believe today, I want to say welcome. I'm super, super, super glad you're here. I hope this didn't confuse you. But I also want to say that you don't have to get it right away. I thought that I had to understand all of the Bible in order to have a relationship with Jesus, and I was dead wrong. Because the gospel is apprehended before it's comprehended. Not my words, that's someone else much smarter. Right? Because when I felt the most unlovable, I, and all of us have had those times where we feel, and the truth was, is I, I was unlovable because I was acting in a way that was very hurtful to others. It's just true. And I felt the Father's love pour down on me. And it was like, on your worst day, I'm absolutely crazy about you. There's no other God like that. Jesus is the only one that can love that way because the, he's the only true one. So if you are outside of relationship, two things. There's gonna be uh, some partners here to pray with you. If you want to pray to receive Christ, that's an option. You don't have to go to any classes to do so, okay? You can just do it, right? If you're like, nope, that's way too uncomfortable for me, what you can do is go home today and say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Please, I wanna know you, Jesus, who are you? I'm gonna be sitting over here. If you wanna pray together, if you wanna pray to receive Christ, you can do that. We can do that together. Another thing, um, Every Friday night for the past two and a half years, myself and my friend Dan, we've been running uh, a study. But this study is a little different. It's not a typical Bible study. We invite skeptics and people who are not in relationship with Christ to come and ask any question they want. And so there's a men's one and there's a women's one. And so if you, if, if you are in that camp, if you're a brand new Christian or you're not a Christian and you're a skeptic and you want to know more, come here Friday at 5 and the men are in the studio. If you're a woman, it's a little more complicated. I'll have to give you my wife's number and she'll text you the coordinates. Um, but that is an option, okay? If, if you're in that category, it can be really useful. So, um, I'm gonna pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've done and what you will do in this community and in the communities of the people that we are going to be praying for. I pray a sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit over every single person in this room. Jesus, I ask that, that we be a communal witness of the reality of you. We want to be asked, why do you have this hope? We want to share the good news, God. And I pray over the individuals in the room who don't have that in them. 
where the longing feels far away, where it's even anxiety producing, God, I ask that you relieve them of that, God. I pray for our weak. Let us put you in front of everything. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.